Hi guys, welcome to Dead by Tomorrow Interviews. My name is Daniel Winter and my co-host is Andrew Monroe. As we explore different topics that are worth thinking about today, we want to bring in guests to share their own unique perspective. We hope you enjoy hearing from our guests as much as we enjoy talking to them. Welcome back to Dead by Tomorrow. We have Daniel and Andrew, your host as usual. But more importantly, we have Dr. Kaufman on today. He is an orthopedic surgeon, and he's a good friend of both of ours. And I don't think I've actually called you Dr. Kaufman before. So I'm going to stick with Jason unless you would prefer otherwise. So Jason, welcome on the show. And do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Hey, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm perfectly fine with you calling me Jason. Okay, good. That would be really awkward. <laughs> I'm going to only say Dr. Kaufman, no. just for the record. Yeah, we're getting it all out right now. Good. I'll also take Dr. Jason. Yeah, I'm in uh, doing orthopedic surgery. I am in year four of five for residency training. For those less familiar with kind of the whole process of medical school and, and doctorhood and all that stuff, everyone has to go through undergraduate degree and then medical school, which is four years. And then at that point, we become a doctor, get our medical degree and uh, go through residency training. And that varies based on the specialty that you have. I chose orthopedic surgery, that's the bone and joint doctor. And uh, that specific uh, training is five years long. And then the option to do another year uh, of fellowship training, which is subspecialty to that to the specialty. Are you gonna be doing a fellowship? Yeah, I plan to. Uh, I'm planning to do a hand fellowship. So that's specializing really anything hand to the shoulder. Some people do less shoulder and really focus on the hand, but I, I don't know exactly what my practice will look like. I have watched Dr. Strange and that's what he did. So you, I think you are on the path to greatness and magic. He was a neurosurgeon. They just focused a lot on his hands because they were super important. So you're almost there, Andrew. Almost. Dang so it. close. I should have watched that movie twice. I wonder if I was drinking when I watched it. All I remember is his Oh, yeah, you're right. Because it was just his hands that got messed up. And he couldn't mm -hmm. do surgery. Oh, so Jason could have saved him. Huh. Okay, before we go into it, because I think a lot of what we're going to probably talk about is the process and all the different things that come with and what most of us see as a pretty high tier profession to a lot of people that's a, a really high profession to achieve. So before we get into that, though, I've met a, a few doctors and they seem to be very identity oriented towards being a doctor. So is there anything that you also add on to that identity where you're like, I'm a doctor, but don't label me like that. I have this or X, Y and Z that you would rather focus on your achievements or is it you're really proud of going into orthopedic surgery and that's kind of what your identity is wrapped up with? Sure. So I think that it has to be a large part of your identity, just the amount of time dedicated to it. But it's certainly not my only identity. I, I have a lot of uh, other things that I enjoy outside. I'm a husband, uh, a new father, and those are things that I put priority over my career. But certainly it encompasses those things uh, as a part of it because you make sacrifices uh, no matter what you do. There you go. I like it. Yeah. And so one thing I wanted to ask about and just hear you talk about that's kind of wraps up both being a doctor and, and then being a husband, being a dad is you're not the only Dr. Kaufman in the household, right? What is that? How has that looked in managing time? And you said being a doctor 
is uh, it wraps up a lot of your identity. How do you manage that with not just yourself, but both you and your wife? It certainly presented a unique set of circumstances. My wife, Kimberly, we've been married coming up on seven years now. We have a a new son, Aiden. He's uh, almost a year old now, and she is in the final stretch of medical school for her. So she is uh, about to be uh, Dr. Kaufman as well, like you said, Daniel. Oh, I jumped the gun uh, there. Sorry, sorry. That's all right. <laughs> soon to be. <laughs> soon to be. Very close. Uh, I mean, it's a one of those processes that you're like, are, are you done yet? <laughs> but yeah, so it's it's been a long journey. There's a lot of crossroads. Uh, like I mentioned, the going to undergrad, going to medical school, going to residency, fellowship, all of those processes is a, a new change in habitat and one that you don't have a whole lot of control over most of the time specifically going into residency and and fellowship, you're put into uh, basically a pool. They call it the match. And you put in where you'd like to go. The programs put in where they'd like to see you go. And a a, uh, sometimes seemingly random number generator puts you places. It's a little more complicated than that. But uh, you don't get to say, I'm going here. You could say you'd like to go there. And hopefully programs say they'd like you to go there too, but it's difficult. And all that to say is that I've been blessed to be able to, for the most part, be in the same place as my wife, but there's been several circumstances in which it's been difficult. I'll elaborate on that uh, just a little bit. While I've been in residency uh, here in Galveston, just outside of Houston, Kim has been in medical school at A&M, which is based out of College Station. For the first year and a half, she was commuting during the week, staying in College Station, and then driving to our house here in Houston uh, while I drove to the island. We're now in the same place, but we're about to kind of hit another crossroads where we'll both be entering that new chapter. Hers will be residency. Mine will be fellowship and in, in which we don't know if we're going to be in the same place. And we have a kid and there's just a lot of unknowns and uncertainties. But so far, God's really blessed us that we've been able to to persevere through this. How do you make that work being in different spots, doing that commuting? How do you have time to build that relationship. Obviously, y'all found some time you had a kid, right? But how do you make that work? And at least one minute. <laughs> uh, a, a minute and a half, Andrew. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so you certainly have to, you have to carve out your own time. There's certainly the kind of the fallback into digging your own little piece of your relationship and really getting focused on yourself. And it uh, means being intentional uh, with your time. There's opportunities that I've had to further my career education that would be positive, but that I've chosen that family is more important. And I don't think I've suffered in any appreciable way doing that. But if it means that I can't be the the top score on this one test, or if it means that I, I, I can't get down this hundredth practice of something. Sometimes that means that I, I'm sacrificing it for a night with uh, a night with Kim to to catch up, and and I find ways to to better myself in other avenues. And sometimes that just means less sleep, which is what it meant a lot of times. But that's kind of where we're at. That's something that has blown my mind over the years of knowing you, because in college. We were all doing the same thing. And then Daniel and I graduate and we go off to do our own thing. And our lack of sleep was usually revolving around playing late night volleyball or something. But you seem to not 
have been sleeping for like six years straight at home. <laughs> How much do you actually sleep? It it depends. There's lots of rules in place better than how it used to be as far as medical students and residents, as far as hours on the job and things like that, regulations. You guys may know it, but all the listeners may not. But there's a rule in place that you can't work more than 80 hours a week. Which generous of them. Right. It's, <laughs> generous. It's, it's generous. It's, oh, you can't work twice as much as a normal person. Okay, great. But the, the thing about it is a lot of programs, the, the system is built in which you're going to be at that or pushing that. And so in reality, kind of my normal day is generally 12 hours or a lot of time it's not more than that. And I usually have an hour or two of stuff to do at home that's either preparing for cases, surgeries the next day, or ordering x-rays, preparing for clinic or doing notes, or the list goes on. But all in all, it's it averages about six hours of sleep a night. There's nights where it's less, where I'm on a home call where I have to take calls from the hospitals. Hey, I got this kid with the broken ankle or, Hey, I got this guy who cut off his finger or whatever. And, and sometimes that means I just get my sleep interrupted and I answer a question. Or sometimes that means I have to drive to the hospital and fix something. And so sometimes it means less sleep, but you usually that's fewer and far between as my residency has gone on. Okay, one more question on that, and then we'll probably actually dig into real questions. Oh, no, I've got questions too, so. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> oh. Go, go ahead, Andrew, go ahead. Mine's probably uh, less appreciated, but I watch Scrubs. On a scale of one being a fever dream of JD and 10 being Turk in general, just Turk, the best of the show. Are you sure you've watched the show? I love Turk. I'm not sure where we're going with this, but I'm excited to find out. <laughs> so one with a JD on a fever dream, 10 being Turk. How close has your experience been to Scrubs? Your scale is odd, but I'll, I'm going to go <laughs> we need, off. We need to calibrate that scale. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go off script with the, the scale, but it's J, JD's character. He's the medicine doctor in the show, for those that don't know. And Turk is, he's a general surgeon, more jockey type. There's actually a even more jockey type who's an orthopedic surgeon on the show, and that's Todd. I don't personally relate to him, but there are certainly that stereotype out there for a reason. Plenty of my, my residents can attest to that, but I'd say the show's pretty accurate, and minus the, the daydreams, the fantasies, all the kind of whimsical stuff. But the show's pretty accurate in kind of the interactions residents have to their attendings, to the patients, the little dramas. I think that's fairly close to reality as far as TV dramas go. Would you say you're able to enjoy it? Like if you went back and watched Scrubs or you watched it with fresh eyes, would you be able to enjoy the show now or would you just be like, oh crap, more work? Oh no, it's absolutely, I enjoy watching those shows back. Each each kind of time you, you watch it, you're picking up something different. Unfortunately, the, the longer you go, the more critical you become cynical of those shows and you're like, oh, they never use that kind of tube for that or that surgery for that. You become more hypercritical than you, you were as a oblivious medical student or, or whatever, what have you. But I've watched plenty of the medical shows, Grey's Anatomy and shows like that. And for the most part, I'd say that there's some truth to it. Uh, they're hyper dramatized, but they're still fun to watch. Okay, good. I'm glad Scrubs hasn't lost its shine because... It's one of my favorite shows. <laughs> Minus the last season that never should have happened. 
I, I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> it ends with JD walking down that hall, and that was the end of Scrubs. Speaking of shows, Jason, I, I'm curious, how many movies do you think you actually made it through our freshman year in college? Whew. Just out of curiosity. I fell asleep uh, for a good bit. I, I go through some movies. I'm like, oh, I watched that. And I watch it. And I'm like, I don't have a clue what's going on here. <laughs> I've never seen this before in my life. No, it's just funny. I'm, I really am envious of your ability to get through things on lack of sleep. And I, me making that comment is definitely the pot calling the kettle black because I fell asleep in the midst of so many video game sessions. And I think both of us just had this mentality that if there are fun things going on, we want to be a part of it until literally our body says, nope, you're done. And I think you're just a little bit better at that than I am. (laughs) I don't get how you guys do it. I can't fall asleep to save my life in the middle of something like that. Yeah. At a certain point, Andrew, you just force yourself to stay awake long enough and you don't have any alternative. Never gotten to that point. I love my sleep. Kind of going back into the the medical field, the hospital environment, Andrew and I rarely get to talk to somebody that actually has credibility uh, tied to their name about just about anything at all. And so it's fun to talk to a doctor, especially in the midst of the COVID pandemic. And so I'm just kind of curious, what has the hospital environment been like over the past three, four months? It's been incredibly challenging, to be honest. So being in orthopedics, for the most part, I've been not directly working with COVID patients, and I'm thankful for that. But its ripple effects has gone through every hospital. And so there's been waves of it starting out in March. and, And by waves, I mean waves of what's actually going on. In March, basically when everything shut down, my our residency is built on us doing surgeries and learning, and that was cut drastically down. They had the ban on elective surgeries, and so luckily orthopedics has traumas that come in, but people weren't doing stupid stuff either, and so we didn't have any ankles to fix. We didn't have hips to, to replace, things like that, so the volume was really down and that was difficult for learning. And then we started to have the uptick of things were looking like they were going to get back to normal. We had kind of slowed down things, at least in Texas, but people decided to, uh, I'll keep from getting too political in this because it's frustrating, but there's a lot of people that just don't have the common sense and wherewithal to look out for the better good. And so cases rose quickly and the hospitals got really full, especially around here in Houston. The ICUs were were at capacity still are, are very high. And the surgeries in that aspect have to get cut down because we were running out of supplies. It was hard to find Things as basic as scrub brushes to to clean your hands or, I mean, we never did a surgery if we didn't have those things, but simple things like that or alcohol to clean uh, instruments or things like that were very short in supply. And that hasn't really gotten better each week. It's some new thing that, oh, we're out of this type of suture or this, this kind of brace is backlogged or whatever. So it's really reverberated through the whole system. 
And so right now, our staff has been very severely affected by actually getting positive cases of COVID. We had 12 of our surgical staff, scrub techs, scrub nurses, test positive for, for COVID. And with that kind of staff hit, you, you, even if there are cases to do, you can't schedule them because there's nobody to, to help out. And so it just makes a time in which there's people that are concerned about their livelihood, uh, making money to feed their families or helping out people or things like that. That's difficult for me. Luckily, I've been blessed that my paycheck's not at risk, but my the, the only time really I have in my career to learn certain things is severely changed. And so it's been a really tough situation throughout all this. Yeah, the that ripple effect is something that, honestly, I hadn't even really thought about the fact that it's impacting the ability for this, you know, upcoming class of surgeons, of doctors to, you know, practice certain things. And, and that really could have a, a long-term impact on the curve. And I don't know, maybe all of a sudden, the future generation of doctors are going to have a lot more knowledge about infectious diseases. But whenever Andrew and I hit our, I don't know, 40s and need to have shoulder replacements, people might not have as much practice with that. I, I mean, it's certainly something to to think about. There, There's always ways that, I mean, the, the checks and balances to making sure that it's it's safe. When you get out of here, I, I, I don't want to sound like, oh gosh, there's, they're sending people out that has never done such and such. But there are ways around that. It's just right now, it's been challenging. So I I was trying to make this a little more interesting for us. I actually got tested yesterday. Two people in our department who I was working with yesterday and, or I guess it was Monday and over the weekend, they tested positive with symptoms. And yesterday I had a fever of 102, feet oh. chills, muscle aches, uh, headache, cough. I mean, if you had asked me if I thought I had it, I, I was certain, but I got tested yesterday morning and the rapid came back negative. Now they're not 100% accurate, but I went to, had to go to work today. I wore an N95 the whole time, and it's one of those tough situations. So I thought I would come with some juicy new experience. Luckily, that's not the case because it would have been a, a major headache for the next two weeks. I just, I definitely don't want it because one, right. it seems like it's terrible to get, and you just kind of never know. But then it's like, if you get it and are symptomatic, like, the whole decrease of lung function just sounds terrible. And I, I know how much you love running around and doing things. All of us obviously love running around and doing things. So it'd be, that would not be ideal. So you're not in support of the college fad of like COVID party. We're going to throw a party. If you've got COVID come and give it to everybody sort of thing. <laughs> no, not a big fan of that. I, I just think when you're doing stuff like that, it just asks for there to be egg on your face. We've seen it too many times already with people doing these COVID parties and they die or, I mean, just crazy stuff. I'd rather be on the precautious side of it. And if I'm wrong, then at least I was safe. Whereas the other side, if I'm wrong, I could be dead by tomorrow. Nice. Nice. <laughs> All right. We did it. We referenced the, the name. We lost Andrew in the process, but it was worth it. We'll just go ahead and wrap up here. Shortest podcast episode ever. Okay, Jason, I'm going to divert us a little bit from the COVID and all that kind of jazz. And 
I want to talk about what led up to this. And if you have any regrets, I guess would be a way to put it. So you are kind of a year out from truly joining the workforce as a surgeon, which I know you've been working in like, you're probably doing a lot more work than most people, but in terms of your career, you are still in the almost training phase. Like you, you still have a little bit further to go before you're officially making the big bucks and top dog, I guess you could say. He's just rub it in, Andrew. You're not there yet. <laughs> and that's the point. How long has it been? It's been eight it'll years have, of this post-grad? It'll have been a total of 14 years of okay. training. And you turned 29 this year. When's your birthday? June 12th. Okay, so you just turned 29. Oh, man, I think I missed it. I'm sorry, bro. That's um, all right. I suck. So I remembered yours. <laughs> Cold-blooded, man. You know what? I'm sorry. That's all I've got. I'm sorry. It's you're closing it on 30 before you're going to be making money that you have expected to be making. Like they've paid you obviously, but you're not what you haven't gotten what you've been working for, so to say. So what is that like? How do you have anything you would have done differently? Are you excited to be finishing? Do you have any tips for your past self? Like, Hey, if I would have done this again, I would have done it differently this way or pick this different profession. Or is there anything like that? Are you hundred percent? This was a perfect storm of options. I think that I'm definitely really happy with the specialty I'm in and the path uh, that I've gone. I didn't, I wasn't one of those people that knew they were going to be a doctor since they were five years old or whatever. Um, kind of leading up to this, I, in college, I was a math major. I thought that I would teach at a university level, teach math. It's what I enjoyed, but I kind of found early on, luckily, that there was no way I wanted to get a PhD in math. It was just not that interesting to me. And I found medicine and I really loved it. I think in addition to my passion for medicine, I, I still really have that passion for teaching. And I, I think that I'd like to incorporate that as much as I can into my practice. There's opportunities for that. Uh, as you go into the quote unquote real world, teaching institutions like the one I'm at where they have residents and med students is an option. It's one that I, I'm not sure what it looks like down the road, but the teaching aspect is something that I'd hope to not make uh, a regret, if that makes sense. So far, I'm really, to answer your question, really happy. There are plenty of things along the road that I wish could be changed, but they're the nature of the system rather than the nature of something I've chosen the low pay, the long hours, the lots of years of training. That's part of the game right now, at least in the United States. And that's not likely to change anytime soon. All right, Jason. So which one of our Chick-fil-A lunches freshman year was it that you decided to do med school? Because I remember you were doing math. We just kind of talking about like what the future looked like. I was hot in the middle of engineering. It was the worst thing ever. But yeah, at what point did that clarity come into place? Because that's probably not a common undergraduate degree for med school mathematics. Yeah, I wish I had like a, oh, this was that day that I decided. I think it was more of a, a thing that developed over time. There are a few key people in our, our lives at that time that really helped influence um, at our church. Our One of our leaders was a cardiologist, Dr. Wigley, and he really made an early impact on my decision. And I got to do some shadowing with him, which was the first experience I really had with that kind of thing. And I just really 
I really enjoyed uh, what he did, and he was a great role model and mentor. And I we still keep up with him and his wife Teresa and their kids. They've just been really uh, huge impacts in Kimberly and I's lives. And something that we'll probably I'd like to talk about later is just our mission work that we've done with with medicine. They've just been a huge role in that. I, I think they're part of what shaped my interest in it. And I, I think I think most people really that are successful have some sort of men- mentorship that they that kind of steered them one way or the other. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I I forgot about the Wigglies. And that's that's a really great memory going to those groups. Well, I guess they were our table hosts and we went over their house once or twice. I I imagine you ca- caught up with them more and continued to from there. But I think you're totally right that those mentorships at different milestones in life really shape the long-term decision-making that we go down. And I feel like if we sought out mentors a little bit more pre-college or, or those sorts of things, it might be a little bit easier to have a better idea of what direction to go in life. That's where I kind of chose engineering because that's what my dad did. But as time went on, I realized that wasn't the right fit for me and just kind of looked at people whose lives I kind of really wanted to mirror and model after. And I think that's so important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, one of those things that really resonated with me recently on that was coaches. And I know at the time that we were all making <laughs> big decisions in college and even high school, I kind of thought that I knew everything I needed to know. I saw having somebody like a mentor or a coach almost be a weakness. It was like, a, oh, you don't know enough. You need this person to support you and crutch you up. And I, I thought it was a bad thing, I guess you could say. And in hindsight, and especially after watching a lot of sports documentaries and reading a bunch of books, there's everyone who has done anything great. They never did it alone. They all say they did it alone, but they all had coaches and mentors from day one to the day they quit and after. You know, LeBron still has like a million dollar a year coach that watches and works with him outside of, you know, his actual basketball coach. He's got somebody that is watching him specifically to coach him specifically that he pays out of his own money to make sure he's doing his best and how to do better. Mentors are really good. And I wish I would have known that. Yeah, I'm there with you, Andrew. I think... I don't know which one of us uh, should take the blame for that, but I feel like we both had that mentality of make it on your own or don't make it at all. (laughs) Pride goeth before the fall. Oh, and there were so many falls. You said you wanted to talk about your mission work, and if you want to talk about something that is more exciting than any questions we can ask you, so please launch into whatever was on your mind there. Yeah, it was just a, a cool opportunity that I got to be a part of going to Peru as part of my medical school it, training. I, I guess you could say it was part of it, but it was certainly something that was optional and, and that was sought out. It's something that Kim and I got to do together from the very beginning before she was even in medical school or in the medical field. And so I went as a student, she went as a spouse, but got to help out in certain roles there. And then the next year I was an older medical student and she was still a spouse. And we did it one more time as that. And then uh, when she got into medical school, she got to go as the leader of the trip. And I went as a quote unquote 
I was a doctor at that point, baby doctor, but still in that capacity, one that was in a, a teaching role. And so the trips meant a lot to us throughout the years. And it's one of those things that, that you look back on and really is what helps shape what kind of person you're going to be. Just those, it's really easy to, we talked about what gets you through what's your your mindset is like as a surgeon and i mentioned husband father and it, it's another one of those things that really helps define you and it was a way to to give back and to grow and to really see uh, a lot of change in a certain area and with the continuity of going back we've been five times now to peru for week-long trips i know less spanish than i should but but I really got to see uh, a lot of lives change, including my own. That's really cool, man. I love to hear that because I haven't had that experience. I've, one, not been to Peru, and I've also not able to say that I've changed any lives necessarily. So that's really cool that I know someone who has. Uh, something on this podcast we get really excited about is mindset. So you said mindset in there, and immediately like my podcast, Dead by Tomorrow, senses went off. So are there any mindsets that helped get through Peru, get through med school, get through the daily grind that most people probably don't understand being as difficult as it is where you stop hoping to be a doctor and you're actually just working as a doctor? I mean, there is a lot of grind. It goes through phases, luckily. So the grind is different, but there are periods in medical school when you're training for your board exams, your big tests that the score determines what kind of residency you can go to, what kind of specialty you can do for which we sit in front of a computer and study for, for no lie, 12 to 14 hours a day, doing questions, reading books. And this goes on for four to six weeks. And it's that it's very grindy. I wish that wasn't the case, but th that's one of the, the times where it really drags on you. But the light at the end of the tunnel helps with that. After each one of those kind of big grind sessions, Kim and I, and usually another group of my uh, med school uh, buddy and his wife, we'd take a trip. We went to the Grand Canyon and went hiking. We went to Spain. We went to Yellowstone. We did these kind of outdoorsy trips to to get your mind off of it, to kind of give yourself a, a pat on the back, break from the grind. And so those are specific, really tough grinds. The other grinds of patient care and uh, note writing and things like that, they're intermittent and and they can be draining but the fun stuff is mixed in between and that's doing surgeries which is what i enjoy doing but for physicians specifically a lot of people are probably familiar with this term but burnout is the real deal and i've definitely felt that in residency and med school and luckily we change things like change services like right now i'm doing trauma next month i'll be doing pediatric orthopedic stuff like we we move around enough so that things stay fresher and it's a little easier to get a different mindset so you're kind of keeping like a change of environment going and you also have rewards that also clear your mind kind of at the end of the tunnel to be like hey all i have to do is get through this and i get to do x or y and you just kind of keep it step by step short term or focused i guess yeah, that definitely is a balance is the short term and the long term. Uh, just knowing this is going to be going on for another couple of weeks, but I also got another couple of years. It's really important, I think, to like just when Kim and I talk about stuff sometimes, like where we're going to be living. Sometimes I, in my mind, just have to shut it down and be like, okay, I, I got to focus on the next couple of weeks because if I start thinking about 
the unknowns for the years to come. It's just a lot to take in. So it's really a balance of those short-term versus long-term goals and, and avenues. I see. I'm, I'm not jealous of that workload. I'm jealous of the Lamborghini you're going to get. Or is that a Lambo <laughs> or you have a Ferrari? Probably neither. Oh, okay. I would, well, like to get, I would like to get a Tesla though. Oh, you got on the Tesla train. I'm so happy. I'll be jealous of your Tesla. I'm not jealous of the workload. So one thing, Jason, that I'm, I'm curious about is where that ability to grind came from and that mindset. Is that something that is innate? Is that something that came from a mentor or, or what? Because this didn't start in med school. This didn't start in college as a mathematics major. You were the, was it valedictorian, salutatorian in high school? Salutatorian. Yeah. At, and, mm-hmm. and not at like a 1A, like there are 40 kids in town. Like this is a Tesco. So what's what? 5A? 4A? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 5A. 5A. Big high school. A lot of people. You don't reach that kind of level without having the ability to do what you're talking about, to be able to grind, to be able to focus on the short term. So where did that come from? There was this uh, game I was introduced in the early 2000s called RuneScape. (laughs) I was going to ask if it was from video games, but I was like, I don't know. Not RuneScape. I had to get my woodcutting up from 20 to 60 in a couple hours. I just was on that grind for a long time. Honestly, (laughs) all of us from back then, we're all going to go get RuneScape tattoos as like our war banners or whatever. Like, (laughs) Oh, I'm going to have to get a lobster tattoo. That's what I did. I fished lobsters. That was my job. I killed cows, man. I grinded out on those cow farms. (laughs) No, but seriously, although I played my fair share of video games, it's uh, probably hard to put my finger on. It would be nice if there was something I could say, hey, do this and you, you will have that mentality, but I think it's just a, a willingness to work when you, it's kind of that, that mentality where you have the team members and you, you got the one team member that like is going to do nothing and they're going to skate by and you got the one team member that at the end of the day, like the project, even if nobody else does anything, it's going to get completed. And you really have to have that second mentality of in that aspect to just put your nose down and sometimes do the the hard stuff. I think there was plenty of times growing up in school where that was the case. It never feels good, but that that's one aspect. And then my parents really uh, modeled uh, a good work ethic. Uh, they were both really hardworking. My mom, she worked from home so that we could have it easier uh, after school and things like that. And a super hard worker. And my dad was also a hard worker. And so I just, I had good modeling from my parents, which I, I know helped out a lot. I was an older sibling. I'm still an older sibling. They, they didn't go anywhere. But I, I don't know. My family, we've, we've been blessed. My sister was valedictorian. My brother was valedictorian. So I'm the black sheep in the family. But I don't know. I think a lot of it has to do with the modeling at home. That's interesting. For, you know, comparison, Daniel, I think you broke the top 10%, right? Technically, by the time we graduated, I was not in the top 10%. But at the time where I was like pulling transcripts and applying for college, I was. And so I was able to get all of the benefits 
and then just like coast out at the end. I'm trying to remember. Nathan might have been the person that actually took my spot. Wow. <laughs> the top 10%. <laughs> I have nothing to say on that. <laughs> we were both very, we were very close. Um, I can't remember if it was him for sure, but it might have I been. do remember y'all going neck and neck about that. I was, I was not up there. I think I walked out with a 91 or something and was not even close to top 10%. <laughs> Oh, you pretty much got to be like at 100 or like a little above. <laughs> yeah, those math classes. I needed Jason. You guys were okay at math, I guess. But like apparently Jason is who I needed and to help me <laughs> along. But alas, different schools, ex-girlfriends, the whole thing. This is probably there. deep enough into the podcast that only the true believers will hear <laughs> yeah, it anyway. all, all 12 people, Daniel's mom and my mom. <laughs> hey, Brett listens to every episode. And Brett. <laughs> Shout out to Brett. We'll leave that in. <laughs> Okay, Jason, one last question, at least on my front. Overall, what was the hardest part about this process of becoming a, in my mind, top tier profession, a surgeon? I think we've touched on it a little bit, but it definitely, one of the, one of the biggest parts is just the time commitment in general and uh, delayed gratification. I, I think that you have to be willing to put in a lot of hours early on. And this isn't unique to my specialty by any means. I think there's plenty of, you look at the professional athletes who are on the grind in club sports and maybe they're D2 school or whatever, and they're just hoping to get picked up. Again, that's uh, kind of a way other end of the spectrum, but but there's a, a long wait time till you hit your break. The, the people that are they're, they're trying to live their dream. They drop out of college to pursue whatever it is. And it, it's just perseverance more than anything else. I, I think that if you're going to nail down anything else, it's just willingness to keep pushing even when it's tough and to keep a, an eye on your goals. Kind of like a willingness to suffer, perhaps. Sure. Jason likes suffering. That's what Andrew was trying to yes. get at there. I, yeah, he's a suffering suffrage. Is that the Suck word I'm looking for? Yes, suffrage. No, He's suffering succotash. Oh my goodness. <laughs> All right. So orthopedic specialty. I know that you are into sports because of the many sports that we've played together over the years. There's a frisbee, obviously, that we played at AM in college. We did that racquetball class that was probably one of the most cutthroat experiences ever. We Sheldon. did a Sheldon. The man, the myth, the legend. All right, we're going to pause my question for a little story about Sheldon Cox. I'm Andrew, I don't, know if, I don't know if you've heard about this man, Sheldon <laughs> no, Cox. tell so, me more. So we were in this racquetball class, and we're all kind of sitting there. And, and we had played a good amount of racquetball before taking the class just for fun. And so we came in, we were going to like be aces in the hole and all this sort of stuff. There were two very important characters that you need to know about in the racquetball class. We'll get to Sheldon, but first I got to talk about racquetball God. Very important character. So we're sitting in the class, like syllabus day, everything like that. Um, show up just our Walmart racquetball rackets, athletic shorts or whatever. This guy walks in with like the tennis bags, right? I know oh, the yeah. gear. I know what full, a, a guy with gear looks like. <laughs> the full gear, like nice goggles, nice racket, like headband, like just everything kind of got the doctor disrespect vibe yes yes and so we're like oh no this guy is gonna wipe the court with us and and i loved this about the class but your grade actually depended on how high you finished in oh, the ranking yeah. <laughs> so there was a little bit of intimidation when this guy showed up turns out 
he was okay. He wasn't the greatest, but uh, we still called him Racquetball God from all the way up till now. So we got Racquetball God, great guy in reality. And then the other character that we have in this class is Sheldon Cox. Sheldon was not great at racquetball. He was not good at racquetball. He was not good. (laughs) He just kind of had a look of just your normal dude, uh, like nothing super notable about him. But one day we're sitting in, we're inside the court. Everybody in the class is sitting there listening to the teacher talk about whatever the rules are and things like that. And Sheldon, which we already just were kind of predisposed to have positive feelings about Sheldon because his name is Sheldon Cox. Like, that's just a name. And so Sheldon shows up late and we're paying attention because we're like, where's Sheldon? He's like our favorite person in the class and he doesn't know it. Sheldon shows up late. And is kind of trying to rush to get to the class because everybody's there and he's late and doesn't realize that he has not selected the glass panel that has the door, tries to open the door and just assumes that he's going to be pushing it open, walks face first into the glass. The whole class like turns and sees this happen and makes a commotion. And then he has to like go over to the door, open it, come in, sit down. This is your bobby sock wearing glasses, short shorts, but not frat guy type feller. Yeah. So Yeah. Yeah. Just like think about the the seventies, eighties, like gymnasium scene, like where the nerds are like just having to, to go in the gym and they hate it. That's the kind of look. That's the kind of vibe. And <sighs> and what's great about seen this. <laughs> the thing about Sheldon too was like we got like weirdly obsessed with him. AM big school i think there were like fifty thousand people when we were there something like mm-hmm. that and it's just an enormous campus but somehow at least once a semester one of us would come across sheldon cox on campus and we would do our best to snap a photo and send it to the group and say we got a sheldon cox sighting <laughs> dude that's why it is rare to because tech was the same way like if i met somebody and i didn't make plans to see them later i never saw that person again they were gone that's crazy y'all were able to run into him because I that never happened to me. I I just hope that someday somehow we get to actually meet him and get to know him as a person because we never talked to him. We this just... is our chance. Millions of <laughs> listeners, do your thing. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. Uh, Thanks, Susie. Oh man. <laughs> Thanks, Brett. <laughs> all right. All right. It's been established. Jason likes sports. Orthopedics, that's a profession that's all about muscles, bones, joints, right? Like the things that we need for sports. And so in your professional opinion, and I'm excited that I can ask this, what are some tips that you have for just injury prevention in sports, like better performance? What would you tell Andrew and I as would-be hopeful professional athletes? Speak for yourself. I'm there. It's a pretty broad topic. This is obvious, but I think a lot of really good advice is somewhat obvious. Things that you're taught, like stretching and being warm before things. I think some of the less obvious stuff that uh, we see a lot of people have having aches and pains from are things like really not focusing on your legs strength enough. Quad weakness is one of the biggest sources of knee pain as we get older. People come in with it a lot. It's not necessarily arthritis or sometimes it is, but strengthening, doing specifically quad strengthening exercises can help stabilize your knee and slow down, prevent arthritis, prevent some of the knee pains. It's not a cure-all, 
but it's certainly a big thing. And then just so being you're mind, saying, don't skip leg day. Right? Don't skip Is that what leg day. Exactly. I know it's novel, novel uh, information. <laughs> Another thing uh, we see a lot that they're known as the weekend warriors. One that I've, I'm guilty of as well, but people that this is typically your late thirties guy that he's been doing nothing all year. He goes and he does a Spartan race or he goes and plays some pickup basketball with the kids down at school, or he decides to to run a 5k or something. He tears his Achilles. He breaks his ankle. He, he tears his quad. He, he does something because he hasn't been doing the exercise to back it up. And this is one of those things that Right now, for young people, it's not something you have to worry about as much because our, our body can take it. But as we get older, it's definitely something to, to watch out for. Really, that turn of the 30s into early 40s is when it hits, uh, when we see those kinds of injuries the most. And it's people that they were active, 20-something-year-olds, and, and they stopped for a little while. Uh, and then they try to pick it up too fast, too quickly. And so th- those are real dangers because they can be bad operations and and just really putting you out for doing anything fun for a while yeah that that totally makes sense and so the advice there is either don't stop activity or if you do make sure that you ease back into it It blows my mind that people don't train consistently that blows your mind i don't know how you (laughs) have you looked at america (laughs) i know and that's the thing i know plenty of people who do but like if you're health conscious it just I struggle to understand how you're not doing it. <laughs> Please, we're not do talking something. about health conscious people here, though. It's the same people that were like, "Man, I was really smart in elementary school, and and then college hit, and I uh, I just can't I can't keep up." It's the same mentality. I feel attacked. It's the same people <laughs> that they could get up one day and run a half marathon and be fine, uh, but now they're ten years older, and and that's just not the case anymore. Your your body it just isn't built like that. And then what about I got to ask this. So stretching, dynamic, static, like what, where do you fall on that? It's not particularly my area of expertise as a surgeon. And this is where I would default to the physical therapists out there, roles and specific types of stretching. They both have their roles, but that's not my area of of expertise. So I I can't give great advice. Jason is a real doctor now. That right there just sums it up more than anything. (laughs) I'm just kidding. That was good advice. We're all about to turn that corner. So I'm going to keep a weather eye out on doing those legs. I'm real worried (laughs) constantly. I know that's that's (sighs) tough. All right, Jason. So as a doctor, I'm sure you have uh, just wellness, like whole body wellness in mind that plays in heavily to your decision making, I would guess I would assume, right. And so what about nutrition, right? Like, how has that looked for you throughout the years, like any nutritional advice or stories that you want to share with us? Sure. So uh, of course, it's paramount. It's always on my mind. It's all I think about is eating that, that good stuff. I, I hearken back to the days of of early undergrad where McDonald's was uh, running a special around the Super Bowl for 50 of their nuggets for $10. Never been a deal better than this. Wait, did you say 50 nuggets for $10? 50 nuggets for $10. That's correct. Wow. Y'all's McDonald's slaps different than ours did. <laughs> it, 
was slapping hard that week. The five of us, myself and Daniel, and our other three roommates, Nathan, Sam, and Michael Stebbins, we decided that we were going to go hard this Super Bowl. And so we each got 50 nuggets. Uh, so it was a, 250 nuggets with the goal of eating them throughout the Super Bowl. And I ate my first 40 in about 10 minutes and <laughs> decided that was a little too fast. And I took the last 10 slower. And uh, then I dropped a bowl of ice cream afterwards. It was one of the best bowls of ice cream I've ever had in my life because it didn't taste like a chicken nugget. Most everybody finished. Everybody except one person finished. And they left those chicken nuggets in their car for the next three months. To be clear, and... that wasn't me. I was joining in the ice cream celebration, and I can attest that it was the greatest <laughs> ice cream. And and as Andrew knows and really just hates, it, it's a point of contention. I don't really like ice cream that much. Yeah, I'm going to kill you for that one of these days. <laughs> if you're curious, uh, three-month-old McDonald's nuggets look the same they do when they come out on day one. I Take that as you will. That's frightening. That's for those who are curious how to take that is very bad. <laughs> All that to say, it's one of those things that sh that was not a healthy experience for our bodies, but for our minds, it was healthy. We had a lot of fun with the guys. I got lots of memories eating crazy things, going to all-you-can-eat Chick-fil-A's uh, at an OU Frisbee tournament and just pounding more bags of nugs and fries than you can imagine. And um going to Chinese buffets by myself because my wife doesn't like them. And food is not one that I, I, I feel right or feel capable of, of giving good advice on because I don't like to take it. But I, I'm lucky in that I, I've been blessed with my body type. Um, yeah, we could have brought you on that fitness episode because, man, you've had abs ever since I've known you. I don't get it. <laughs> the whole food thing is funny. So I, I want to see... How many of these trends that we can nail down, Jason, just to really solidify your prowess as a nutritional expert? So I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, you kind of had a mindset in college of kind of that grinding mindset of, I just need to stock up on this particular type of food and I'm going to get this food in me and we're going to go with it. There was a time that I think that was eggs. Like, I think you ate, how many eggs do you feel like you ate a day? It During was a lot. Time. Mainly, that was easy thing to cook. My family would be sad. My wife is a great cook. My dad and my mom. My dad's a better cook than my mom, but they're both good cooks. And I could, I, I don't want to say I, because I, I, I'm not a good cook. And, and mainly that comes to the desire to, but I just did not want to cook. And so eggs were easy. Uh, and so eggs and stupid things like corn dogs and oh. frozen 72 cent Chicken banquet pot pies pot pies <laughs> the, the, i was with you the, on the eggs the, the kinds of pot pies that you if you didn't heat up right they were still a freaking solid ice brick um not your grandma's homemade pot pies these were the the 70, 72 sensors i don't know if you can get those anymore I think they've yeah. probably been listed as a carcinogen. They're like 90, 93 cents now. So I haven't bought them um, since the price hike. But no, in all seriousness, I don't think it was ever any sort of fad for me. I, I, utility would have been a nice excuse, but it really just was ease of cooking and, and being blessed that it didn't affect me negatively from at least 
on the outside. I'm not going to throw any stones, <laughs> man. We, I think all of us back in the day, and probably pretty recently still, we're just like, oh, if there is free food, and especially if it's yummy or fried, we're in. And otherwise it was, hey, this is cheap and quick, and I can get a lot of it. I mean, that that's, that is still me. I have not changed the day I start turning down free food. You'll know that I've made it. The day I pay for a soft drink in a, a restaurant, that, that you'll know, oh man, he's doing it. He's finally there. <laughs> oh, we're not even going down that path. I, I've got questions <laughs> about doctors and that, but we, we aren't going to go there because this is, <laughs> I don't want to throw any stones on that front either. <laughs> but you and I, we're going to have words on private uh, one of these days. <laughs> no, I'm just, a, I'm a, a penny pincher at heart. I guess that's the end for Dead by Tomorrow. This time around, we could probably talk to Jason for quite a bit longer, but we have been lucky enough to have him borrowed away from his kid, wife, and job for this long. So thank you guys for coming on. And Jason, sincerely, thank you for joining us. It is always great to talk to you, and I'm sorry that we don't get to see each other as much as we probably should. So thanks again, and... To all of you guys listening, uh, don't forget to share, like, and anything else you think that would show us your enthusiasm for what we're doing here. We appreciate your support and you listening. Have a great day.